welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Good evening, everyone, and those of you online. A great pleasure to be here. I would like to talk to you tonight about God's tasting menu. We're going to look at uh, a Sam. Um, I, I just want to start off with an invitation. And the invitation is here in a Sam, and then we'll come to the other Sam. Here's the invitation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And the prayer is from Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold, uncover, see incredibly wonderful things from your word. To fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances. And to seek him is the greatest of all adventures. And to find him is the greatest of human achievements. Hope you agree with that. And to aid us to experiencing that and to accomplish that and to come into the incredible joy of it, he has given us many things, but three things primary. His son... He loved the world so much, he gave his son, his spirit, and his word. Have you noticed that in the New Testament there are some key verses that happen to be 3.16 verses? John 3.16, 1 John 3.16, Colossians 3.16, and what about 2 Timothy 3.16? All Scripture is given by God, by inspiration of God, and is profitable. It's helpful. It's advantageous. It's beneficial. That's what that word is. For what? For doctrine. What does that mean? Well, it's for learning, for information. Then the second thing is for reproof. What's proof? Well, it's proof. It's evidence. If you need evidence about him, the earth, what's happening, it's, it's in this book Third thing is, and we don't always like this, it's for correction. Again, it's from a word meaning if if you were paralyzed or bent over, it's, it's, it's straightening you up again. Rectification. And fourthly, for training, which is like we're all into education. Well, that's 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 what is training in righteousness. Why? So that the man or woman of God may be complete. Complete. It 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 actually means not stale. You're fresh thoroughly equipped for every good work. And of course, unless we allow the Holy Spirit who ministers the, the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, to our hearts, this word that's, that's profitable, that's, that's inspired, it will just remain a dead letter to us and have little real impact. So we ask the Holy Spirit to come. And even tonight on this small little word I'm going to bring, that he will bring his revealing power so that we can taste and see that he is good. 
well, I know he's good. Okay, wonderful. But tomorrow you may be tempted to, to think otherwise. You know, in this book we call the Bible, we're in possession of a collection of 66 books written by more than 40 authors over a span of over 2,000 years. And yet it's completeness, it's flow, it's diversity, it's incredible. Its patterns are wonderful. And I was just thinking the other day, it's, to me it's been like a springboard at times into an unseen realm that I frankly haven't a clue about, but I can come into it through this word. And it's also a door for God to come and pass through and speak directly into our lives. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is, is good. It's, it's, the Bible's incredible, it's, and I appreciate that I'm probably speaking to people who agree with me, but it's, it's an integrated message that has come from another domain, from outside. And, and, and it's, it repeatedly, it... It, it, it authenticates its uniqueness by describing history before history happened. Um, it tells us that faith comes, saving faith, preserving faith, overcoming faith. It comes from hearing. Oh, I thought I had to work it up. Oh, okay. But, but it actually comes from hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. Faith in God is a response to hearing His Word. Above all, to hearing the message of His Son, the Gospel, His incarnation, His life. Above all, His death that we've been singing about. Worthy is the Lamb. His resurrection, His ascension, His glorification. And the fact that He, because of that, the Father sent the Holy Spirit. These, these things are wonderful. Now, apparently, and I think we're all probably from more or less the same version tonight, depending on the version of the Bible that you're reading, Psalm 118 is the central chapter of the Bible. And therefore, the, the central verse is verse 14 that says, The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. Now, either side of 118... It's obviously 117, which is the shortest chapter in the Bible. And on the other side, 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's interesting that the central chapter in the Bible is hinged by the power of praise, 117, and the precision of his word, 119. You come to your own conclusion on these things, but I'm tasting this, and I'm interested in these things. I used to be, but when I got born again many years ago, my taste buds began to change, and I acquired a new taste, a new interest. It didn't happen overnight. It was kind of gradual, but I tell you one thing, it's continuing to grow, and I find every aspect of this book amazing. Uh, even the parts that I still don't understand, and that's quite a lot. Now, are you a Psalm 117 person or a Psalm 119 person? Well, I trust you're both. Praising him and reading his word. 117 exhorts all the nations to praise Jehovah. 
for his enduring mercy, his kindness, his truth, his hesed, which is a Hebrew word for all of that. And it's a great expression of praise and encouraging all the nations to praise him. And it also gives us the reason why we praise him. But in terms of its scope or the depth or the width, it's kind of limited. And yet it serves as a taste for our palates and a desire to search more. 119, on the other hand, that, that really expresses to me the idea of a menu. See, it says in verse 103 of 119, and if you have your Bible, open it at 119. We're just going to, to look at one or two things about it. He says, how sweet are your words to my intellect. No, how sweet are your words to my taste. He says, sweeter than honey. And in those days, honey was the, honey was the top. It was rare. It was the one thing. They didn't have big supermarkets with choice of everything. Honey was very precious to them. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. A number of years ago, Ruth and I, we were uh, treated to a tasting menu in a very nice hotel. And, and uh, uh, we stayed the night. We had a tasting menu meal that night. And a tasty menu, in case you haven't never been there, it's a collection of several dishes in small portions served as a single meal. Uh, they're bite-sized dishes of various foods which focus on your senses. Not just your taste, your senses. So the young lady came out with the white plate and over it was the... Um, was the, was the thing that they put over, they lift it over. So, so the first thing, before I saw anything, she tells us about what's underneath, each course. And you're there, and I'm initially thinking, come on, I'm hungry, come on. But actually, I got more and more interested on the way through. So the first thing is hearing. I was hearing about this course underneath, this tasting man. I was hearing about it, and I, and I sort of looking at her, and she must have seen something in my eyes, and then she whipped it off, and I saw, and I was a bit shocked because it was so small. <laughs> but I saw something, and, and it was quite intriguing. I, I didn't know what it was. And then I got the smell. Third sense, I, I got the smell of it. I said, hmm, this is very interesting. She's used a bit of bistro or oxo in this. And, and, and then I finally got, my wife was kicking me on the table to wait, be patient. And then I finally got to taste. And boy, was it fantastic. And we had half a dozen or so courses of this. And each time it was the same thing. A description, coming off, look, smell, and taste. It, 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 it spoke uh, to each sense. And she also talked about some of the culinary arts that went into it. But I learned a few things from this that helped me as I read the Bible. One is there is sufficient amount in each course to appreciate the food, yet not so much that you can't enjoy the next course. And as I said, there's usually five or six courses per city. Now, yes, our traditional larger courses, large size helpings, they can fill you quicker. And because, you know, we live in a fast-moving world, we don't always have time for these six courses and descriptions, smell, and blah, blah, blah. But, but, but tasting menu, one dish at a time, that they seem to complement one another. 
And it's surprising how satisfied you are at the end of the meal. As we continue our new life in Jesus Christ, after experiencing that regeneration, we sometimes find that smaller amounts of truth are often greater help than a whole large amount of instruction and teaching given at the same time. Go, whoa, that went over my head. Well, start off with something, one line, one word, one verse. Allow the Spirit to do this. We're in no competition to read the whole Bible in a year. If you do that, wonderful. But read it daily, I would recommend. And the Bible refers to this type of tasting menu. So I've read that verse, Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And someone said this of taste. Taste is one of the means by which we ascertain the nature or quality of an object. So if you are buying a car and the car salesman said, have a drive in it, madam, you're having a taste of that car. Or you're buying something and, and you're going to the, and the, the lady or the man on the floor says, would you like to try it on? And you're having a taste. And then someone actually may say something to you about some, oh, would this table here be to your taste? You're not going to eat the table. But you're talking about the whole environment, the situation. Is it to your taste? There's something about, oh, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Now, we recently, back home, we're just going through Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. And I was surprised that the amount of times the, 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 the reference to taste came up. One of the first times, it's nothing to do with our tasting, but it's to do what he has tasted. And it says that Jesus, by the grace of God, tasted death for everyone. And oh, what is a taste of death like? I've been to some countries and you feel like, uh, like some places in West Africa and, and you're living on, I won't even describe what it is, in China, the, 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 the entrails of a snake I had to eat when I, and it's death and you don't like tasting those things. But Hebrews talks about this, you see, our forefather, and Adam, he bit into forbidden fruit, and he introduced the taste of sin and death to the entire world. It spread. And the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, he came, and it says here, he tasted death so that he might destroy its power. You know, we love him because he first loved us, and we can taste true life because he first tasted death for us. He absorbed death into himself. I don't know how he did this, but I believe the Word of God that tells us he did this. And all that death entails, it's, it's, it's permanence, it's, it's dread, it's inevitability. He took it all upon himself. And when he tasted it on the cross, we've been singing about the cross. I was moved by that. Lord, you experienced something bitter and unpalatable for you and for me. It's, it's flavor as he drank from this cup. It's such a taste of sorrow in it. It truly was the cup of sorrow. And if you, any out there, in here, if you're knowing sorrow in life, he, he has tasted that, and not just tasted it, but he's absorbed it so you don't have to be forever underneath it. Hallelujah. I'm so glad he tasted it. And there's something about God's own act of love and mercy in dying for the human race, in bearing the collective consequence of sin for you and I, that really creates faith in a way nothing else can. 
Now, miracles can create faith when we see it and hear about it. But I have found we soon forget them. Maybe not soon, if they're personal. If you've been healed of some amazing, uh, some awful disease, you won't forget it. But we hear about it, and, and oh, when's the next miracle coming on? But this tasting, just this, this is such, we, we, we need to taste the victory in this. There is another tasting in Hebrews. It talks about tasting the heavenly gift. And I was thinking, what, what's that? Well, salvation that is offered through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, that's a gift that originates in heaven. And when we've been living off the taste of sin all our life, you know, the pride of life, the lust of the eye, when we've been feeding on that sort of food all the time, when we get regenerated, this new food comes and the taste of sin is rendered, I don't want that anymore. We don't really have to fight it anymore. I just don't want it anymore. This is one of the great advantages of tasting to see that the Lord is good. Those other tastes that used to possess us and overpower us and overcome us, they, they have a lesser effect. Keep tasting him. And these things begin to acquire a new taste. Tasting. That food we've been feeding up. Our taste buds change. Hallelujah. This new taste of the heavenly gift of salvation, it isn't just an acquired taste. It tastes like nothing we've eaten before. I, I, I was thinking back years ago. I was 22 when I got born again. And I remember going around in a slightly, no one knew about it except me, slightly kind of, kind of a daydream. It was, it was not, there wasn't anything incredibly miraculous. Well, it was a miracle, but only I really knew. But I was tasting, is this really... Oh, that doesn't affect me anymore. Hallelujah. It was like acquiring a new taste. And as we read this book, more and more, as we communicate with the Lord Jesus, of course, he is the word. He is the living word, but he's also, he wrote this. He is the God of this book. And through this book, he'll speak his life to us. It talks, it talks in Hebrews, again, about tasting the good word of God. You know, it's insights, it's revelations, it's inspired stories, it's, it's wisdom, grace. We don't stop with a taste, of course. We don't stop with it. We eat it, we digest it until it's somehow engrafted into the fiber of our soul and our mind. So that after a while, we're thinking differently. You may not notice it, but someone who knows you well would notice it. Oh, you never, you never thought like that before. Oh, no. But I've been tasting of something and it's affecting his mind. And then there is this amazing taste in Hebrews. And this is only one book. You can go, we're going to just, we'll end shortly, but we're going to look at one tasting menu in 119, Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, there's 22 tasting menus. But we're only going to look at one. But in Hebrews, it talks about tasting the powers of the age to come. I was at a funeral a couple of years ago, an elderly uncle of mine, 101, he died, and he served God all his life. And we walked in, and Handel's Messiah blared out. And I tasted the powers of the age to come. I've been to many funerals, and I haven't <laughs> tasted the power. But I did that one. And his son caught up and began to give story about his dad, my uncle. And I tasted the powers of the age to come. 
And I got hungry for the powers of the age to come. I tell you, here's, here, it's a foretaste taste of a future age and glory. The resurrection of the dead and eternal life, that's tasting the powers of the age of come. Has it happened yet? No. But there are always these new tastes of God coming to our spirit as we walk on with the Lord Jesus. You know, that immortality is a power to come. The absence of sin and freedom from evil in every kind is a power to come. Hasn't happened yet, but I'm tasting it. I'm tasting it that actually some of the things that overpowered me and some of the things that have overpowered or even overpowering you, we can call it sin, we can call it depression, we can call it whatever you want to call it. You taste of God and those will begin to ebb. And you will taste something of the powers of the age to come. Revelation 5 calls this, here's a taste of the powers of the age to come. Ruling with Jesus. <laughs> what a, it says, and he has made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. So tasting, feeding, experiencing, even from a distance in time will bring a power within us, a foretaste of glory divine. Now, Psalm 119. In many ways, it's, as I said, it's, it's like a huge tasting menu. There are 22 courses. Or if I really wanted to be, um, it could be 22 menus, each of eight courses. <laughs> I'm throwing out these tastes for you. Some people like this. Each one is unique. Each has a taste and prepares your palate for the next one. Each will come covered and you have to listen. Then you, ah, 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 and then it will begin and you begin to taste it. How dare the devil make the Bible boring to anyone? Hallelujah. You know. Right. About nine, there's 150 psalms. About nine of those psalms are the acrostic psalms. Why are they acrostic? Because they use the Hebrew alphabet in their structure. So, what do you mean by that? The first letter of the first word, say, of each verse and succeeding verses is a succeeding letter of the alphabet. It can be a little bit like a crossword. And they might have been written so that they could be easier to memorize. And the pattern can vary from psalm to psalm. And Psalm 119, as I said, is divided into 22 eight-verse stanza. Now, Jerry will know what a stanza is, and I know what a stanza is. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a group of verses. Okay? And there are 22 groups of stanzas. This is only one chapter, and it's even in the Old Testament. But you taste this, and you'll begin to get more of a foretaste of things to come. Because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and that's why there are 22 stanzas. And if this is not enough, each of these... There's 176 verses, yeah, 22 by 8, 176 verses, and except for four verses, each of those verses contain and declare something about the Word of God or make reference to it. I mean, surely only a person moved by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit could have constructed a psalm in such a way. 
And just to stop you falling asleep, there are eight words in, the, in this psalm, eight different English words used for, to express the word of God. There's eight different Hebrew words as well. So you have things like word, testimony, statute, etc. Each of them carry a world within them as well. So over the centuries, many servants of the Lord in the past have so greatly admired and tasted and benefited from this psalm, as well as other scriptures, that some have memorized the whole psalm, Psalm 119. Now, it'll take you about 14 to 15 minutes to read it. Uh, it'll probably take you a bit longer to memorize it. <laughs> but try memorizing one or two key verses. So William Wilberforce... 19th century British politician who led the movement to abolish the slave trade across the British Empire. Took him years. Success, failure, success, failure, criticism, retirement, out of retirement. He persevered. And this was one of his most favorite psalms, and he, he memorized it. Another man, you may not know this man, Henry Martin. If you, if you were a Christian in India, you would have heard of Henry Martin. He was one of those great pioneering missionaries in India. He not only learned this verse, I believe he, he puts music to, to some of it. You will have heard of David Livingstone. He was the first European to cross the width of African continent. The first white man to go to Victoria Falls. It wasn't called Victoria Falls. He named it Victoria Falls after his queen. And he learned this psalm. He learned it off by heart. He tasted. And he certainly tasted something of the powers of the ages to come. Here, here's an interesting thing about this psalm. Back in the 17th century, <laughs> there was a man called George Wishart. <laughs> he was the Bishop of Edinburgh. Sorry, I found this funny. And he was condemned to death, which isn't a laughing matter, uh, because he was some... You know, things up in Scotland, I hope no one from Scotland here, but during the 1600s, it was wild up there. You had, you had people being, being, um, being, being uh, hung and burnt just because they believed in the Bible and that sort of stuff. And anyway, he was sentenced to be executed. And on the scaffold, he made use of a custom that allowed the condemned person to choose one psalm to be sung. <laughs> now, praise the Lord, he didn't choose 117. That's the shortest psalm in the Bible. But he chose 119 in a very slow, dreary song. Now, I don't know if he had... I, I don't read much else about him. He could have been a bit of a codger. I don't know. But he chose this psalm. He said, I want that tune as well. And oh, slow, slow, slow. But this is true. Three, two, three quarters way through the psalm, a rider ran in, the, 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 the king or queen's emissary, with a piece of paper with his pardon, and he was reprieved. So Psalm 119, 116, verse 116, literally came to, to pass. Uphold me according to your word that I may live. You know, others... Oh, wow. There, there are other things that have been said about this Psalm. I'm going to say, this is just one Psalm. The wealth that's in this book. They've called it the Christian's golden ABC of the praise, power, and profundity of the Word of God. They say that other psalms shine, but this one burns with the median heat of its full brightness. That could have been written by Jerry. The alphabet of divine love. 
the paradise of all doctrines, the storehouse of the Holy Spirit, the school of truth, the deep mystery of Scripture. And whatever various opinions are, it is one of the great passages of Scripture. Most commentators agree that it was penned by David, probably over a long period of time. Perhaps on the surface you'd find no definite flow or connection of thought from beginning to end. And not all the sections and verses seem to have, yeah, a connection. Maybe is there some kind of chain where one thing is linked to another. But don't be deceived. There is a cord running through, all the way through. And someone else has said this. It's not so much a a chain, but rather like a string of pearls where each pearl has equal yet independent value, just like a tasting menu meal. Each course, that's the starter, maybe a bit savory, and then you're coming through the meat, and it ends with something that cleans the palate. there's There's a connection in all of this. It's a fantastic chapter. And we could go to great length. Well, You've done so already, Larry. Well, okay. Uh, We could go to great length describing various other things about this time. But I just want to finish by looking at one verse in particular and just to draw a little bit more taste and flavor from it. And hopefully it will cause us all to see that the Lord is wonderful. His feet are beautiful. His ways are tender and upright and true. The verse is found at the end of the fourth stanza. So that makes it verse 32 of Psalm 119. And it says this, I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. It's as if he's saying, I've tasted and I've seen, and this is what I've decided to do. Because when you taste something, it usually has an impact on your life, sometimes very short that this is an internal impact on your life. So in this fourth group of eight verses that starts at verse 25, I just want to say this, that each verse begins with the fourth Hebrew letter of the alphabet, the Daleth. And that holds a whole world of meaning. But just suffice to say, one of its meanings is a door. Not so much a door in, but something that blocks something like a barrier, something that that causes reluctance and hesitancy. You could say something a bit like our sin nature, something that resists, and therefore this necessary at the beginning, this is the beginning of this stanza, to press through, because he's come to an end. He said, I've run the course. I felt blocked at the beginning, but I've run this course. I'm pressed on through. And so the first thing we see Before we come to 32, at 25, we see a conflict. He says, my soul clings to the dust. But we also see a contrast. If you read down to verse 31, I cling to your testimonies. So we're either clinging to dust or we're clinging to his word. We're clinging to the pull of the dust or the pull of his word. You know what what dust means? It can just mean the earth. Created things good and bad, the horizontal level, the created world, both its fading joys and also its rubbish. But we never seem to get beyond this world. We never seem to have any other view because we haven't had any foretaste of the powers of the world to come. We all know this, the pull of the dust. The pull means are are the clinging. It it means things that adhere to us, inherited. They're stuck. I'm stuck with this. It holds on to us. It catches us. It joins us. You know, if you've ever been in a dust storm, 
I was in, in Chad once and there was a dust storm coming down from the Sahara and we had to make a, a beeline for the house. And I said, what's the hurry? It's only a bit of sand. He said, get in. He said, it gets in your eyes, it gets in your ears, it gets up your nostrils, it gets in your mouth, it cuts off all your senses, it, it affects everything. But this man, this soul had previously tasted something more and intuitively he knew there was something better than the dust. And so I just want to jump down to verse 30. We read, I have chosen the way of truth. You know, I could have had this tasting palate in front of me and I could have said, it's too small. I'm going around to McDonald's, getting a proper meal. But I chose. I said, no, this is not. I paid for it. I'm going to eat it. There's something about choosing these things. I choosing. He chose. And, 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 and he, he arrived by, at this choice over progressive steps. This, this fourth tasting menu, if you like, in this sand. And you can see that the steps he's taken. Verse 25, revive me, make me alive, his quickening word. Verse 26, teach, show, you educate me. Verse, he said, teach me your statutes. I just want to say something about that. Statutes is a word carved, a word ingrained in you, a word inscribed. The authority of his written word and its effectiveness as we open that door more fully and allow the Holy Spirit to come in. What does it say in Hebrews 8 about the new covenant? He will write it on our minds and put it on our hearts. This is what it's about. So it's not a casual taste. This is a, I'm, I'm tasting and I'm going to taste them tomorrow. God willing, by his grace. But I've chosen to do this because there's something more here than meets the eye. I'm taking off the dish. I'm going to feed on this. I'm going to acquire my taste to it. I'm choosing it. This is what he's saying. And, and verse 27 talks about understanding. Verse 28, strength. It comes as well as a desire to be delivered. Verse 29, he highlights this thing. For him, this was one of the things that was really clinging to him. The dust, he says, the way of lying. The way of lying. And this just as I was reading this this afternoon, uh, um, that, that struck me. You know, again, our forefathers and everything that we really need to know about where we are today, some say it's way back in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. You can see the source of much what is happening. So we have this shining one. Someone call him a serpent. But the shining one comes into the garden and he lies to Eve. The art of lying. You know, temptation first comes through speculation. Beware of speculating too much. That opens up the mind. And then through that, the shiny one came in and he enticed her. Enticement. That awakens desire. And, and by then, it's easy to bring persuasion, which is what he did. And that engaged her will to act. Things haven't changed. Those are the main principles by which these things will come. But even the way of lying. I don't want that anymore. I want truth. I want clarity. I, in my life. And so he's made these choices and as a result, there's a transformation from his soul clinging to dust to verse 31. He says, I want to cling to your testimonies. And then there's the verse. I will run the course of your commandments. This is the, out this is the final outcome of this course of his tasting menu. I will run the course of your commandments. 
you shall enlarge my... Literally, I'm, I'm going to stretch out. I'm going to set the compass of my heart along the path of your commandments. Commandments is a, another word for the word of God, but I just don't think of, oh, Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, Moses on the mountain. No, 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 it's far more than this. Commandments, this is what it really is, commandments is. It's two meanings. It's, it, it, it's God's prescription. What is good for you and me? Oh, taste and see that the, word, the Lord is good. The prescription. But it's also his proscription. What's he's prescribing? What he's saying is harmful and damning for you. Oh, sometimes we don't want to hear it. It's just, tell me what's, tell me what's, no, no, I want to tell you about this, and I want to rectify that. The way Jesus ministered to some of these people, that paralyzed man, 38 years, 38 years, it was very easy. He just said it once. You know, your, your, your sins are forgiven. Three times he said, take up your bed in war. Take up, it's amazing the beds we lie on, self-pity, deception, laziness, all sorts of things. Sometimes we just have to hear the prescribed word to us. And lastly, just to say this, there's a, a big difference between action, which we've been reading about, verse 25 to 31, action, but the, in 32, that final verse, that final time when we actually taste it, there's, there's, there's transaction taking place. You know, we can act quite a lot without accomplishing much. But transaction is action that goes beyond the point of no return and becomes a permanent feature. The new covenant was and is and always will be a transaction between the three persons of the Godhead. They transacted the new covenant. Father, you shall have sons. Son, you shall have a bride. Spirit, you shall have vessels, yes, human vessels, to dwell in. That was the covenant. That was transacted. The great transaction's done. Wesley wrote that hymn. Hallelujah. Salvation is a transaction. I choose, although he says he chose us before in Christ, but anyway, we choose with Jesus Christ and my soul. And the result is we pass beyond recall sanctification, surrendering is a transaction between the Holy Spirit and an, and an individual who arrives at the place of surrender. Choose you this day whom you will serve. My time is up. Thank you for listening. But listen, taste and see. Keep feeding on the living bread. Keep drinking on the fountainhead. Your taste buds will develop and you'll expand from milk to solid food. You'll expand from that first small dish and you go, hmm, oh, that's fantastic. Oh, is that the end? Well, I want another tasting card. Well, there's another. There are 22 here already in this book for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, to fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances. To seek him is the greatest of all adventures. To find him is the greatest of all human achievements. Enjoy the meal, beloved. There's so much in this. We're never going to be bored, that's for sure. Amen. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. 
Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at courtchurch.com or just check out our website, www.courtchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless. Thank you.